Hello and welcome to Plastic Possibilities, a podcast produced by Plastics Today. I'm Norbert Sparrow, editor of Plastics Today, and I'm joined by Zachary Moore, Deputy Managing Editor, Americas of ICIS, a business intelligence resource on the global chemical and energy markets. In the aftermath of Hurricane Ida, we wanted to find out what impact this destructive storm will have on the resins market. Readers of Plastics Today are well aware that resin pricing has reached near historic levels over the past few months. Hurricane Ida did not affect resin capacity to the extent that the freak February storm did, but it compounds the ongoing supply and demand dynamics that plastics processors uh, continue to wrestle with. In this podcast, more details where we stand and what we can expect in the weeks and months ahead. He has been working in the petrochemicals industry for the past 11 years and shares his insights now. Um, so we are recording this on Friday, and Hurricane Ida has carved a hugely destructive path through Louisiana, up through the East Coast, causing tragic loss of life and wreaking massive destruction. A truly uh, depressing sight. Uh, but we're here to talk about Hurricane Ida's impact on the petrochemicals and plastics industries, something that ICIS tracks diligently. So, uh, Zachary, what can you tell us about the current status of chemical plants and refineries in the storm's aftermath? And maybe what we're looking at in terms of capacity? Sure. So, uh, you know, just to summarize at a high level the amount of capacity that's offline, it's it's important to note that this particular storm mostly impacted the eastern side of Louisiana. Uh, so for those not familiar with the geography of this region, there's uh, obviously there are a number of plants, say, on the western side of Louisiana or in Texas uh, that were not impacted. So overall, we did not have the same um, loss of capacity that we saw, for instance, during winter storm Uri. Uh, but just looking at some of the main commodity polymers out there, uh, we lost about 21% of low-density polyethylene, about 13% of high-density polyethylene, and about 12% of linear low-density polyethylene. Uh, for polypropylene, the number is about 9%, uh, polystyrene about 24%, uh, PET about 13%. Uh, for ethylene and propylene, ethylene is about 28% and propylene was about 25% uh, of U.S. capacity down. And on the refining side, it's approximately 10% of U.S. refining uh, that's been impacted. Most of these plants went down over the past weekend, typically a little bit ahead of the storm as a preparation. For the most part, as far as we've heard, most of the plants were able to shut down in an orderly fashion. So for, you know, restart dates are really just dependent on getting power, uh, getting logistics, uh, being able to get people back at the plants. Uh, so we're hearing different things. Some of the uh, producers, especially those near Baton Rouge on the furthest um, side where they didn't take the, the most damage, are hoping to be back up uh, really by this weekend. There's some other people hoping that next week they can restart. And then uh, there are a few that are you know closer to the epicenter of the storm that will probably be, be looking at uh, slightly longer shutdowns. So it could have been a lot worse, I guess, huh? For the industry, at least. Yeah, certainly for the industry, it it could have been worse if we'd gotten more of a like direct hit to Louisiana, where both both sides of Louisiana were impacted, or if we ended up getting part of Texas as well. So uh, overall, from the industry's perspective, at least, obviously, uh, you know, the situation with with individuals and their families is is certainly uh, very worrying and distressing. But from the industry standpoint, this won't be have this won't have quite the same. Uh, level of disruption as we saw from from winter storm Uri. Right. And we are still in the midst of hurricane season down, down there. So uh, uh, more storms could be on the way, right? Uh, something this is a 
worry about. <laughs> yeah, this is very true. You know, if uh, last year we had uh, Laura that came through on the western side of Louisiana about this time of the year, end of August, early September, and then we were also hit in the Gulf by uh, by Hurricane Beta and then Hurricane Zeta. So, so we we definitely are not quite out of the woods yet as far as hurricanes go. Right. So uh, over the last few months, we've seen historic price increases in the resin markets. Um, should, uh, I guess we should expect that to continue, but any idea on when prices may plateau and perhaps start to reverse course? You know, what we've seen indications-wise from the, the spot markets and the secondary markets are showing that there's there hasn't been a real strong price response to this particular storm. Uh, prices, you know, as, as you mentioned, were already kind of at or near record highs. Uh, a lot of the buyers are really showing some pushback, especially on the processor side. Uh, for the processors, a lot of them are seeing pretty squeezed margins. Uh, they've been taking, you know, one price increase after another for you know, seven, eight, nine months now, uh, and they just have not been able to pass that that increase on to their own uh, end product customers. So a lot of them are are facing some some squeezed margins and are pushing back on further increases. And you know, just based on what we've seen over the past couple of months, um, polyethylene, polypropylene, uh, even you know, polystyrene, some of these other commodities, they they built up enough uh, additional inventory uh, that they they may not have the same kind of big pricing jump. Uh, certainly what we saw in the spot market uh, for polyethylene was quite interesting was people continued making offers, even on the grades that are kind of in the shortest supply, like high density injection. We did see a couple producers put high density injection uh, auctions, uh, spot auctions that continued this week. Uh, we also look at the spot export market. Typically, this would be the first market the producers will pull away from because it's got a, a lower price compared to domestic contract or domestic spot. Uh, but People are still getting their normal allocations from a lot of the producers, and we aren't really seeing a big price change yet. Obviously, things could change. And if we look, for instance, at the polyethylene contract market, before this storm, it was looking pretty solid, like the, the market was going to roll flat for August. And now because of the, the the additional storm impact, there is some chance that at least on, on high-density polyethylene, uh, the, a five-cent increase might go through this month. So we are seeing you know, some price pressure, but I don't think we'll see quite the same kind of, you know, jump in prices we saw as kind of post Lara or post Yuri. And some of that's just because the markets are already at such a high price point that there's just uh, the producers starting to run into the point where the buyers just can't absorb further price increases. Right. Um, absolutely. makes total sense. Um, you mentioned exports, but I want to ask you also about imports. You know, as you, I'm sure you know, shipping costs have been stratospheric. Um, do we expect to see any relief there in the near future? Unfortunately, most likely we will not. Uh, you know, the port of Ningbo in China, one of the biggest ports in the world, uh, had a shutdown a couple of weeks ago because of some the COVID outbreak there. Uh, that port has restarted, but they've got a lot of... Uh, you know, time to make up for for the time they were down. Also, we're starting to get into the holiday shopping season here in North America. So a lot of that container space is now going to be uh, needed to bring over uh, consumer goods that people are likely to be buying for the holidays. So uh, I would encourage everyone out there to make sure you do your Christmas shopping early uh, this year uh, because we don't know what's uh, what's all is going to be available. So that is going to increase competition for resins uh, in terms of getting container space and is likely going to keep pressure on the container rates. Um, already what we're seeing, uh, there's quite a, a good amount of polypropylene imports, for instance, coming into the United States. 
And it still can be done at attractive prices just because of the very wide gulf between North American pricing and Asian pricing. Uh, but even then, uh, what we hear from some of the import brokers is that the the cost of the shipping and the containers is costing them as much as the resin. So if they're quoting somebody at, say, $1.20, about 60 cents of that is resin, and the other 60 is freight and logistics. So it, it's really a really very difficult time in terms of terms of getting uh, container space and dealing with freight costs. And unfortunately, we don't expect that to to see much relief over the over the short term. Probably will be will be into 2022 before that starts to normalize. Wow. Okay. Well, at least uh, we have some to uh, some sort of perspective on that. So that's great. Um, what I, I, given all of this, all of that, all of what you've said, and the great insights. Thank you so much for for uh, for doing this. But what's your advice to plastics processors who are sourcing resins in the near and midterm? What, how should they proceed? Uh, I think it's always a good idea for for any of the processors to make sure you have multiple suppliers so that you can you always can get a competitive alternative whenever you know. You know, one supplier, for instance, gets hit with a hurricane, isn't on a force majeure, uh, or you maybe see an opportunity to do some import business. Uh, so getting some couple of at least a, at least two suppliers qualified for all the main grades that you're buying, I think, is a very good strategy. Uh, and then just like keeping in mind competitive alternatives. Um, you know, for polyethylene, for instance, we know that the industry as a whole has got to export about 40% of its product. So you should really be keeping in mind what a what like an export parity price would be, uh, and if you start getting your sellers start pushing you much above that price, and that that's a good point to maybe be able to try and push back or start uh, you know start reaching out to some traders and see if see if imports might be a viable option. Uh, so that's some of the advice I, I might give to people, and it's also good to to keep keep a little bit of rolling inventory, especially on any kind of critical products. Because uh, a lot of times when you know people get stuck with the highest prices, it's just they they need a particular grade, particular product, and they just they need it right now, and and that's it. that's a situation where the seller can basically name their price. Right. Um, okay. Uh, before we wrap this up, do you want to tell us a little bit about ICIS, <laughs> what you guys do over there, and how it might benefit uh, plastics processors? Certainly. So at ICIS, we are the global the leading global. Uh, uh, price reporting agency covering commodity polymers as well as a whole uh, list of other chemicals. Uh, there's over 180 chemicals that we're tracking. We are covering all the major uh, global regions. We have coverage of North America, uh, Europe, Asia for, for some things like polyethylene polypropylene. We also have coverage of Africa, Middle East, Turkey, some of the other regions. Uh, so we really offer a complete global picture for a lot of the commodity plastics, as well as a number of the feedstocks and other chemicals. Uh, we carry a lot of uh, leading industry benchmarks, and we've been at this uh, since the 1970s. So uh, we've we've built our reputation over time. We're very proud of what we do, and we're we're always happy to help out with any any anybody that listening out there. What's your website? It's www.icis.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Zach, for sharing those insights with Plastics today. Uh, uh, great. Um, it was a great conversation, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for having me on the podcast.